Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. It's good to be back, guys. Alright, so, one thing I want to get right out of the way, I have a very special shout-out. Today, the day I'm recording this, May 23rd, is my best friend Julia's birthday! Yay! I'm so happy it's her birthday. We've been friends f- since, oh god, we we became friends first year of high school, and I believe this September is like our five-year friend anniversary and I I love her so much she's my best friend and I hope that we get many more uh good decades together as friends uh she's 19 today and uh in Canada that means (laughs) she can start drinking so I hope she's partying hard in quarantine so happy birthday Julia I hope you're listening to this (laughs) Anyway, um, I hope everyone had a good week. Uh, we just opened up the pool at my house, so uh, it's actually been getting really hot here where I live, so it's been really nice to have the pool open. Yesterday it was like, oh, okay, we, we use Celsius here. If you're listening from the U.S., you don't use Celsius. I was about um, 27, felt like 30. I'm not quite sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's hot. I'm sure Americans can do the conversion. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, get on to the topic at hand. Today we are discussing Sacagawea. Now, I first heard about Sacagawea uh, from the movie uh, Night in the Museum. <laughs> um, I was about, oh god, when did that movie come out? must have come out like 2006 or something, so I would have been, I would have been a really little kid. But, um... It definitely started my obsession with uh, history in the first place, and it was also the first place I'd ever heard of Sacagawea. I'd heard of the Lewis and Clark expedition when I was a kid, but I I had no idea like what it was about. I'm Canadian, so I don't really pay that much attention uh, to American history really all that much. Uh, actually, when I did American history in high school, uh, it was the worst I had ever done in a history class. I got like a, uh, I think it was like a B minus. Which is like it sounds okay, but like it's <laughs> it was not the best I'd ever done. I usually do way better in history class, so I was really excited to learn about Sacagawea because I basically knew uh, pretty much nothing about her. Um, I listened to uh, Happy Hour History podcasts shout out uh, to their episode on Sacagawea for this, and I also did a whole bunch of my own research. So I'm really excited to uh, share with you guys about uh, Sacagawea. Let's get right into it. Alright, so Sacagawea was born probably in 1788. (laughs) We really don't know. Uh, Look, it's another lady whose birthday we don't know. Uh, She could have been born anywhere between 1785, which is about the oldest anyone uh, thought she might have been, or 1788. We really just have no idea what her birthday is, but those are the kind of slingshot No, that's not the right word. Uh, It's a guess. It's a guess. That's pretty much all we know. And she was born uh, in modern-day Idaho. And she was born into a tribe called the Shoshone. Uh, Now, she was the daughter of the tribe's chief. And Sacagawea's name either means a boat puller or bird woman. Um, Sacagawea, in her uh, tribe's language, uh, Shoshone, uh, I believe it's a boat puller in that language, and then, um, in another tribe's language, uh, Hidatsa, I believe it means, oh god, was that my stomach? I'm sorry, I'm sorry if anyone heard that. I believe, uh, in Hidatsa, it means, a uh, bird woman. Uh, Sacagawea had a brother named, oh god, I'm gonna butcher this, I didn't even practice it, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to all indigenous people that I won't be able to pronounce it. Come wait. I believe that's her brother's name. I'm not quite sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I tried to look up Sacagawea's parents, and here's what I found. Apparently, her father's name was a Smoked Lodge. Apparently, that was his name. And apparently, her mother's name was Otter Woman, which I'm not quite sure about that. 
and I'll talk about why I'm not quite sure of that a little uh, later, but apparently her mother's name was Otter Woman. Um, so we don't really know what she looked like at all, considering there are, like, absolutely no photos of her. Even though there are, like, tons of statues of her all over the U.S., people were just kind of generally guessing what she looked like. But, uh, one thing we do know, uh, Lewis, who was a part of the Lewis and Clark expedition, obviously, it's in the name, um, Oh, sorry. He actually uh, wrote down what Sacagawea's people, the Shoshone, actually look like. So I think we can kind of like draw a comparison to what she might have looked like. And I'm going to read what Lewis uh, wrote in his journal about the Shoshone people. Okay, so these people are diminutive in stature, thick ankles, crooked legs, thick flat feet, and are short but illy formed or are at least much more so in general than any nation of Indians that I have ever saw. Their complexion is much of that of the Suixes. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm sorry, or darker than the Dotsas, Mandans, or Shawnees. Generally, both men and women wear their hair in loose length flow over their shoulders and face, the queue is formed with thongs of dressed leather or otter skin alternatively crossing each other. The ornaments of both men and women consist of several species of seashells, blue and white beads, bras and iron armbands, plated cords of sweet grass, and collars of leather ornamented with the quills of porcupine dyed of various colors, among which I observed red, yellow, blue, and black. So I guess that that's just kind of gives us a general idea of what she uh, might have looked like, which is pretty cool. It's kind of cool that Lewis uh, wrote that down, so it kind of just uh, gives us a general idea of what she might have looked like. I also found a couple of charts of what people thought she might have looked like, which were pretty cool. All right, so um, we don't really know much about her early life, but what I can tell you about is a tribe that she was born into, the Shoshone. Now, the Shoshone people were all split up into, like, little different tribes. Like, they were all one nation, but they were uh, put into, like, separate little bands, I believe they were called. And they were all connected by being Shoshone. Now, Sacagawea was one of the Lemhi Shoshone people. And they were called this because they lived in the Lemhi River Valley, which is actually, it's almost like almost right on the border with modern day Montana. So she was like born like right there. It's a very beautiful valley. I had to uh, Google it so that I uh, knew where it was. I have actually, I when I moved to Ontario when I was a little kid, we actually uh, drove through uh, Montana. So I kind of have a general idea of what this landscape uh, might have look like. Um, the different bands of the tribe often uh, interacted and married. Uh, fishing was a very important source of food to them. Salmon and trout were staples. Uh, the Lemhi people were actually called salmon eaters for the amount of fish they ate because that was pretty much their uh, main food source. Uh, other foods that they would have eaten were gooseberries, uh, kamas root, which is going to come up a little bit later. I'll uh, explain what that is. Uh, kam oh god, I'm not going to pronounce that right. Kamasi kumash uh, are apparently a traditional vegetable food for the Lemhi Shoshone. And in the 19th uh, century, I'm not quite sure when in the 19th century, maybe when Sacagawea, uh wasn't there anymore. Uh, buffalo hunting actually provided meat, fur, hides, and other materials for these people. So, um, the Shoshone were, like, plains indigenous people, so, like, their culture is very, uh, ingrained in the plains. All right, so I want to kind of talk about the first big thing that ever happened to her. Uh, Sacagawea sort of got kidnapped. <laughs> um, so when Sacagawea was about 12 years old, her tribe and her, the enemy of her tribe, the Hadatsa, went into battle. Now, the thing about the Hadatsa is that they had guns, and the Shoshone did not have guns. So, uh, when you go into battle with someone who does have guns, and you don't have guns, you're gonna lose. So, the Hadatsa originally, uh, went there as, like, a raiding party to take some Shoshone horses, but they also, uh, took Sacagawea and several other girls from her tribe, uh, including another little girl named Otter Woman, not Sacagawea's mom, uh, but we'll talk about her in a second, um, and Sacagawea was taken to their, uh, Knife River village, 
in uh, modern day North Dakota, which sounds like a really long trek, and I kind of wish we had documentation on it. And uh, while she was uh, living there, she ended up being uh, sold uh, to her husband, a French-Canadian man named uh, Toussaint Charbonneau. Now, uh, this guy had actually been living with the tribe for a while, and he also had another wife who was named Otter Woman, same girl I was just talking about. Um, so I'm not sure, uh, if, uh, Otter Woman just, like, had the same name as Sacagawea's mom. Maybe it was just, like, a common name, like, you know how, like, I've been talking about how in, like, Tudor England that they have a problem with, uh, naming people Mary, Elizabeth, and maybe it was like that. Maybe Otter Woman was just, like, a really common, like, basic (laughs) name that, like, everyone got. I'm not quite sure. If anyone could, uh, tell me about that, uh, that'd be great. One thing I can tell you about Sacagawea's marriage to Toussaint, because we don't really have a lot of documentation on it, is that it was probably definitely not consensual. Considering she was probably about 12, anywhere between 12 or 15 when he, uh, when they got married. Um, how he got her kind of like remains a mystery. He might have won her for gambling for her. The Hidatsa might have sold her. So we're not exactly sure, and it's probably not a good, solid foundation for a marriage to be sold to your husband, right? Um, the good news about her childhood before she, uh, got married to Toussaint is, uh, that the Hidatsa people might have actually integrated her into their society rather than treated her horribly like a slave and a captive, and, uh, especially because she was a child, uh, apparently the Hidatsa considered children to be very sacred, so she might have at least had a nice, uh, life up until she was married. Um, I actually went down a whole, uh, rabbit hole about the Hidatsa themselves, and I thought you guys might, uh, find this interesting, because I'm very constantly fascinated with, like, indigenous, uh, culture, because it's just not something you, like, hear about every day. Like, I, in school, we learned about, like, people like the Algonquins and the Mi'kmaq up here, but I haven't had any, like, actual, like, proper classes about indigenous history in years, not since elementary school, so I found this very fascinating. And, uh, it might also be a look into how Sacagawea might have grown up with them. Uh, the Hidatsa were actually, uh, mainly settled in North Dakota, like I said, and they were normally on the Missouri River. Uh, they were matrilineal people, which meant your female ancestors were more important, and I believe, uh, that was actually, like, a staple in indigenous culture while you're, uh, where your, sorry, where your uh, female line was much more important than your male line. I believe that's still the case with uh, uh, Cherokee peoples as well. Uh, like Sacagawea's people, they were identified by being called the Willow People. I didn't actually look up why they were called the Willow People, but I'm sure it's for a good reason. Um, they lived in these, like, dome-shaped earth uh, lodges, and I... I'm gonna, I should post a picture of it, uh, later on, uh, Twitter when this goes up, because these, uh, houses, they actually look, like, really cool, they're, like, literally just, like, this mound of earth, and they, they look like a really cool house to live in, it's kind of like a little fort. Uh, the people raised, uh, corn, beans, squash, tobacco, and they also made pottery, and their pottery is actually very beautiful, I looked up a couple of pictures of Hadatsa pottery. Now, Hadatsa women raised all the food crops while tobacco was grown and normally traded by men. Men also hunted bison and other large game and engaged in warfare. I'm not quite sure if uh, women uh, did that (laughs) at all, but um, I found the Hadatsa really cool, and I hope you guys uh, found them interesting, too. All right, everyone ready to talk about Sacagawea's husband, Toussaint? Because I'm ready to talk about him. Now, I didn't know anything about this guy before I did research on him, and boy, was I disappointed with what I found. I literally named this section of my notes, Toussaint, what a fucking pedophile. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about Toussaint. So, uh, Toussaint Charbonneau was born in 1768. Now, if you're doing math correctly with some of her, uh, possible birth dates, that means he was, at the most, about 20 years older than her. Um, he was probably, he was born in Montreal, 
uh, Canada. <laughs> in his youth, he uh, joined the Northwest Company, which was a trading company at the time, uh, where he began uh, trading things. <laughs> and uh, he ended up uh, living with the Hidatsa people there as their trader. And this was in about 1800 when Sacagawea was probably sold to him. Now, uh, they lived together in this village as husband and wife, and husband and wife, and apparently he was the world's shittiest husband. We actually have a little bit of documentation on this. You know, other than marrying her as a child, Lewis and Clark talked a lot about how he hit her, like, on the expedition. Like, this guy had, like, a really bad temper, like, just in general, and he, uh, took it out on Sacagawea, like, a lot. Like, they had to break up fights between them constantly. And also, uh, he did a lot of dumb shit on the expedition while he was there. Like, uh, he, he got hired to be on this expedition, and he was terrible at it. And I'm gonna read you an excerpt from Lewis's diary about, uh, Toussaint being dumb. On the Missouri, west of Fort Mandan, for example, he nearly capsized one of their boats filled with the expedition's instruments and journals, uh, which made Lewis record that on the 14th of uh, May, 1805, that Charbonneau could not swim and is perhaps the most timid waterman in the world. And on August 14th, Clark noted... Uh, that uh he hit Sacagawea and this was just like one example of him being shitty to her and uh Lewis ended up calling him by the end of the expedition a man of no particular merit was as useful as an interpreter only in the capacity he discharged his duties with good faith which I believe and I'm sure this is a direct quote is early 19th century for you're an asshole dude um, in fact, it wasn't just Lewis and Clark that didn't really like him all that much. His other peers didn't really like him either. When he was working with the Northwest Trading Company, one of his uh, colleagues uh, talked about an incident with uh, Toussaint. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Toussaint Charbonneau was stabbed <laughs> in Manitoba at the end of the Portage La Prairie. Uh, in the act of committing a rape upon a woman's daughter, and he was stabbed by the daughter's mother with, I'm not quite sure, it says a canoe owl? Um, A-W-L, I don't know. But he got stabbed, and uh, the guy said he highly deserved the punishment for his brutality, and it was with, with great difficulty that he could walk back over the portage. And, uh, thank God no one let him get away with raping someone. He actually got fired from the Northwest Company, and that's how he ended up with the Hidatsa as an independent trader, because no one wanted to work with the motherfucker who just raped a girl. And, uh, he had a really bad temper. He was also very vain. So, um, boo. And also, even though this guy had been living with the Dotsa tribe for the well, like, he could kind of speak Hidatsa, but, like, it was not very good. He also spoke very broken English, but he spoke French fluently. So, like, good for him. Uh, one kind of good thing, I guess, uh, that he was good at was actually negotiating, and he helped on the expedition in that regard. But other than that, he was a fucking tool, and I hate him. Uh <laughs> Alright, uh, getting away from uh, Toussaint for a second, let's talk about the Lewis and Clark expedition because, you know, that's what Sacagawea is famous for. Alright, so uh, before researching it for this, like I said, I hadn't known much about it after... I'm sorry. I hadn't known uh, that much about it. Uh, since I didn't really do very well in American history, uh, it's never my forte, but I'm still very fascinated about it. Okay, so the beginning of this expedition has a bit of a backstory, which I'm going to tell you about, um, and it kind of starts with the Louisiana Purchase. So at the end of uh, the American Revolutionary War, uh, 
it was a very different country than uh, we know it today. The Americas only stretched out to the Mississippi uh, River, uh, but they didn't own New Orleans. I believe the French uh, owned that at the time. And everything else was either Spanish territory or completely owned by indigenous tribes. But then in 1800, Napoleon began to consider selling the selling the land to the new country as he believed he might have to go to war with England and his pockets were kind of empty, so he needed the money. And finally, in 1803, uh, America was able to purchase the land. Uh, it included land from 15 modern states and it nearly doubled the size of the new country. Like, it was pretty much all of the Midwest and uh, a little bit of Texas. Uh, I believe they did get New Orleans. Uh, but unfortunately, it did displace a lot of indigenous tribes, and it eventually created the Trail of Tears, uh, which I, I haven't done much research on the Trail of Tears, but I know it was, like, very horrible. Sorry. <laughs> because of the new land, uh, President Thomas Jefferson wanted an expedition to set out and chart the new land from the purchase, and he also wanted, uh, the expeditioners, I guess that's the word, uh, to, uh, find a direct waterway, um, to the Pacific Ocean, which obviously doesn't exist, but Thomas Jefferson thought it might. Um, he tasked, uh, Lewis, uh, with the command of the mission, and Lewis chose Clark as his co-leader. Now, you've probably heard of these two in textbooks, but let's actually talk about them, because I actually didn't, uh, know anything about them. Now, Lewis... <laughs> Lewis is not his first name. I thought Lewis was his first name before this. Um, Lewis was born Meriwether Lewis. <laughs> oh, that name still makes me laugh. His name was Meriwether. Uh, he was born in 1774 in the state of Virginia, but he actually grew up in Georgia. He spent some time in the army, uh, but he eventually became Thomas Jefferson's personal secretary, which I didn't know, and that's probably how Thomas... Well, that's probably exactly how Thomas Jefferson uh, knew him and chose him for the mission. Now, William Clark was also born in uh, Virginia, but he was born in 1770, and he also didn't grow up in Virginia. He grew up in Kentucky. Uh, Clark joined the Army when he was about 19, and at some point during his military service, he served with Lewis, which is how they met. Uh, Lewis knew this was not going to be an easy task, so he actually started uh, preparations by studying uh, medicine, botany, astronomy, and zoology. And uh, while they were getting ready for the mission, Lewis and Clark kind of split up to like gather supplies. Um, some of the stuff that they got were surveying instruments, surveying instruments including compasses, quadrants, teleso telescopes, uh, sextants, <laughs> and a chronometer. There was also camping supplies, uh, utensils, uh, mosquito netting, some clothing, weapons and am ammunition, medicine, and other medical supplies, and the books on botany, geography, and astron astronomy, and maps. Uh, they also collected gifts to give to the tribes that they knew they were going to encounter on the way so they wouldn't be attacked by local tribes. Uh, some of the gifts that they bought for them were uh, beads, face paint, knives, tobacco, ivory combs, bright colored cloths, ribbons and mirrors. Also, and this is so cute, I love this. Also, while co collecting uh, supplies, Lewis purchased a Newfoundland Labrador for $20 and he named it Seaman. Not like semen. It's Seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N. <laughs> and I didn't know this, and it's so cute. He accompanied them on the journey. And it, oh my god, it was just a big Newfoundland <laughs> doggy with them on the expedition. That must have been so fun to have a dog around. Okay, this isn't really relevant to Sacagawea at all, but I did go down a bit of a rabbit hole about Thomas Jefferson while I was doing this because he he's the third president of the United States, right? I'm pretty sure he's the third president of the United States. And I didn't really uh, know that much about him because I was like, isn't he the guy who had like a whole bunch of kids with like a, a slave and he never freed her? And like when he died, uh, I believe she got to be free. Uh, he is in fact that present though some people apparently the white side of the family uh says that that's not true uh but i wonder if there's enough information to do on his on that uh 
the slave he had uh, kids with. I believe her name is Sally. I went on down a bit of a rabbit hole on her. I hope I can do an episode on her if there's enough information. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, back to the Lewis and Clark expedition. Uh, during the winter of 1803 into 1804, Lewis started recruiting men for the mission who had uh, good hunting skills. Um, altogether, the party included about 45 people, and uh, finally, on May 14th, 1804, the party set out from St. Charles, uh, Missouri, on the, I believe it was the Missouri River, uh, because this, the party actually, they traveled by boat mostly, because traveling by land would have been a lot harder. Um, the first part of the journey uh, was not easy, as the weather was absolutely terrible, Sorry. <laughs> and in order to keep the men in line, Lewis and Clark doled out uh, harsh punishments for insubordinates. Now, you got to remember these two were military men and they were treating this like a military mission. So they were like very uh, difficult generals. Now, uh, like I said before, the land from the Louisiana Purchase was occupied by Native Americans. It was technically an um putting up quotation marks, French territory, uh, but uh, the indigenous people had just been kind of doing their own thing for quite a while, even though France technically owned the land, uh, they lived on it. Uh, on the trip, they met with over, like, 50 tribes, including Sacagawea's people, the Shoshone, they met tribes called the Mandan, the Minotauri, the Blackfeet, the Hidatsa, the Chinook, and the Suix. Uh, Lewis and Clark developed, um a first contact protocol for meeting new tribes. Now, I don't exactly agree with them uh, going up to tribes and being like, hi, uh, you're American now, uh, deal with it. But I'm glad they didn't go in there guns blazing or being uh, generally mean to anyone. Uh, what they did was they bartered goods and presented the tribe's leader with a Jefferson Indian Peace Medal. It was a coin, a very large coin, engraved with an image of Thomas Jefferson on one side and an image of two hands clasped between a tomahawk and a peace pipe with the inscription Peace and Friendship on the other. They also told the Indians that they that America owned their land now, and they also offered military protection in, chain, in exchange for peace, like I said. Uh, some of the indigenous people had met white men before and were friendly and open to trade, but others, unfortunately, were very wary of Lewis and Clark and their intentions, and they were openly hostile, although they were hardly ever violent. Um, in August, Lewis and Clark held a peaceful uh, council with the Odo near Pleasant Day at Council Bluffs, Iowa, and the Yankton Suex at present-day uh, Yankton, South Dakota, in late September. However, they encountered the Tenton Suex, who weren't nearly as accommodating to them and actually tried to stop the... Uh, team's boats and they also demanded a toll in payment but they were no match for the military a corpse and uh they were able to move on because they had guns and like i said when one person has guns and the other person doesn't you're probably gonna lose um one thing I do want to mention is the major amount of cataloging of plants and animals Lewis and Clark did on this ep expedition. Lewis cataloged about 174 plants. Some of these were new, some of these were old, or some of them had been known and just had never, they'd never seen them before. He also cataloged 134 animals, which I think is cool. In fact, when they met uh, prairie dogs for the first time, uh, I believe Lewis and Clark had never seen them, but like people knew what they were. Uh, they were actually able to capture one. And they sent it to Thomas Jefferson, which I didn't know. Can you imagine how that went? Like, Mr. President, we have a box from you for you for from Lewis and Clark. Oh yes, bring it here. And then Thomas Jefferson opens it, and it's just a fucking prairie dog on the box. That that must have been interesting. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Um, by early, uh, November, they made it to, uh, present-day North Dakota, where they built a fort, 
uh, called Fort uh, Mandan, and they named it after the Mandan tribe, who were the Hidatsa sister tribe. Now, they had to stop here because it was winter, uh, which means the uh, rivers were freezing up, and they couldn't go any farther, and they'd have to wait for spring. Well, here, this is where they met Sacagawea and her husband for the first time. Now, at this point, if we're guessing, she was anywhere between uh, 16 or 19 when she met uh, Lewis and Clark, but uh, the general guess is about 16, and at the time, she was pregnant with her first child. Now, her husband was, like I said, hired as an interpreter, and Toussaint insisted that Sacagawea come with them, which turned out to be great, because she spoke Shoshone and Hidatsa fluently. Um, Sacagawea didn't speak any English, uh, so she used a type of sign language, and her husband also would translate for her when she wanted to talk with Lewis and Clark. I was actually very curious about how they would have talked. Maybe she did pick up some English while she was uh, living with them. But she couldn't speak it fluently. Sorry, hold on, drink break. Anyway. Um, right after uh, Sacagawea moved in to the fort with her husband, uh, Lewis and Clark actually took an immediate liking to her. And they uh, even gave her a nickname. They called her Janie. I'm not quite sure why they called her that, but it's cute. And on February 11th, 1805, Sacagawea went into labor in the fort. And thanks to Lewis, we actually have a great account of uh, the birth uh, from his diary. We actually even know what time she went into labor, which was about 5 o'clock. So here's the excerpt from uh, Lewis's diary about the uh, birth. At about 5 o'clock this evening, one of the wives of Charbonneau was delivered of a fine boy. It is... It is worthy of remark that this was the first child which this woman had born and is common in such cases. Her labor was tedious and the pain violent. Mr. Jessam informed me that he had frequently administered a small portion of the rattle of the rattlesnake, which he assured me had never failed to produce the desired effect of hastening the birth of a child. Having the rattlesnake of a snake by me, I gave it to him, and he administered two rings of it to the woman, broken in small pieces with the fingers, and added to a small quantity of water. Whether this medicine was truly the cause or not, I shall not undertake to determine, but I was informed that she had not taken it more than ten minutes before she had brought forth perhaps this remedy may be worthy of future experiments, but I must confess that I want faith as to its efficiency." Now, uh, like we just heard from Lewis, it was apparently a really hard birth because, after all, this was her first child and she was about 16. Um, Lewis also wrote that she was suffering and in great agony, and while this was happening, Clark, in an effort to raise her spirits, actually presented her with a beaded turquoise belt that he had been wearing, and she had been watching her admire it the whole time and she knew that she wanted it more than anything else in the world and as she lay suffering at death's door he took it off and laid it across her and when the boy and when the boy was born he was named Jean-Baptiste Charbonneau after uh, his grandfather which Jean-Baptiste I found out just means John the Baptist after Saint John the Baptist which is very Catholic and very French, so uh, we know that uh, Toussaint named him Sacagawea definitely wouldn't have had any uh, say in the naming of her son. Uh, actually, Louis uh, nicknamed the kid Pompey, which I read was the uh, Shoshone uh, word for first, so uh, basically the kid was just named number one. Uh, something interesting happened after Sacagawea gave birth to her son. Her sister-wife, Otter Woman, literally completely disappears from the record. Like, y you heard in the uh, diary portion that uh, Lewis uh, used the word wives. And he used it for quite a while when talking about Charbonneau and Sacagawea and Otter Woman. But at some point just before uh, the expedition, she's never mentioned again. It's not really relevant too much to the story. I just thought it was very, very strange. Okay, so finally in uh, April of 1805, the party actually ended up setting off now that winter had ended. So Sacagawea was about 
17 when she uh, set off with her newborn son. He was actually strapped to a cradle board so that she could uh, carry him on his on her back, uh, I looked up a picture of these things, and it's, like, so funny, like, a little baby is just, like, wrapped up, and is so chubby and cute, and you can just see its face, it's pretty adorable, now, what you have to remember is Sacagawea was a freaking teenager with a newborn baby strapped to her back, and she did all this trekking, and she never complained, she was so good on this expedition, and I'm 18, I don't have any kids, I hope to not have any kids for, like, another seven, ten years, um, <laughs> it's just incredible I had no idea that she was a teenager when this happened so I don't know what I'm doing with my life at 18 but she was doing some cool stuff by 17 anyway uh she actually very quickly became an asset to the expedition and not just for her skills as an interpreter she was also good at collecting food for the group she spent a lot of time uh picking up uh, roots and berries and stuff like that that she knew were safe and actually diversity diversitized yeah diversitized uh the group's diet uh one time this is like one of her most like heroic acts one of the boats they were in capsized um it was probably Toussaint's fault uh she actually jumped into action she saved the supplies and Lewis and Clark's notes and journals and after that they even named the river in her honor which is uh, actually located in present-day Montana uh, it's also in Montana, uh, where they discovered a large rock formation that Clark climbed to the top to. Apparently, he could see from all around, and when he came down, he signed the rock with his name and the date, and he called it Pompey's Tower, and it's actually, you can still go see it, uh, today. I believe it's called Pompey's Pillar now. Uh, they changed it, but it's in Montana, and, you know, when Rona's over, you guys should go over there, because it's apparently a pretty cool rock. Uh... Also on the expedition, she ended up trading that belt that she had been given uh, by Clark for a fur coat the party wished to get as a gift for uh, President Thomas Jefferson, which everyone thought was real cool. Uh, Not to mention the presence of her and her son uh, made sure they wouldn't be attacked because uh, with a baby and a woman, it made the party uh, less of a threat. Uh, by August, they ran into a Shoshone tribe who they tried to bargain for horses to help them across the Rocky Mountains. And when they met the chief, Sacagawea realized that it was in fact her brother, Kamuate, who she hadn't seen over five years. Uh, both Lewis and Clark uh, wrote about the meeting between brother and sister. It was apparently very emotional, so let me tell you what Lewis wrote about it. Shortly after, Captain Clark arrived with the interpreter Charbonneau and the Indian woman, who proved to be a sister of Chief Kamowit. The meeting of these people was really affecting, particularly between Sacagawea and an Indian woman, who had been taken prisoner at the same time with her, and who had afterwards escaped from the Hidatsa and rejoined her nation. And Clark wrote, The interpreter and the squar who were before me at some distance danced for the joyful sight, and she made signs to me that they were her nation. Uh, while they were there, they were treated to cooked salmon, and and thanks to Sacagawea herself, her party were actually given horses and guides to help them get over the mountain because Kamawait informed them that there would be no way for them to get through there without their help because they didn't know how to navigate the Rocky Mountains. Uh, even though that they did have this help, the trip over the mountains was, like, not easy. Like, it was so hard. Even in the middle of the summer, it was cold. People got sick. Even though no one died here, actually, only one person died on the Lewis and Clark expedition. And that was way back before Sacagawea had even joined. Uh, while on the Rocky Mountains, they were forced to eat tallow candles. They ate candles, which were made of beef fat, which... I feel I want to throw up. Uh, apparently, these candles were very long lasting and sustained them until they got out of the mountains into nicer uh, temperatures where they could actually have some uh, real food. When they reached the other side, Sacagawea cooked uh, Thomas roots. See, I told you they'd come back to help everyone uh, regain their strength. Apparently, this root is part of the asparagus family, so it, I imagine it must be very similar to. I can't remember. Did I look up any pictures of Kamas root? I'm sure I did at some point. It probably looks like asparagus. Um, eventually, the party did reach the Pacific coast in late fall or early winter. Um, they actually all voted on the location of where their winter fort should be. Uh, 
actually, Sacagawea got a vote, which was great. And also, um, on the expedition, they had this other man. Uh, his name was York, and he was uh, Clark's uh, manservant. And I'm putting up quotations around manservant because York was a slave. Um, but he, he actually got, like, a lot of freedom on this expedition when he came with them. Like, he was allowed to do a lot of his own shit. Apparently, he actually went uh, hunting with uh, the big Newfoundland uh, dog a lot because he was actually one of the best hunters. Uh, and Sacagawea and York getting a vote means this is probably one of the first times in recorded history that a black man and a woman of color got a vote, like, on anything, which is really cool. Um, eventually they did decide that their, uh, fort should be at the mouth of the Columbia, uh, River, which I believe is located on the border of modern-day Washington and Oregon. Like, it's, like, right there. And you can actually still go visit the fort because it's still there. Um, I actually want to go visit it because it actually looked, uh, really cool. Sorry. <laughs> One story I read from their time on the Pacific Coast was that one day there was a very large whale carcass that actually washed ashore, and Sacagawea apparently demanded to go see the monstrous fish up close. It was also the first time Sacagawea would have seen the ocean for the first time, because, you know, she she's from Idaho. That's, like, the middle of nowhere. She would have never seen the ocean before, uh, which is cool. Um, we don't know how Sacagawea might have felt about seeing the ocean for the first time, but we do have what Clark wrote about seeing uh, the Pacific Ocean for the first time. I'm sure Clark had seen uh, an ocean before, maybe. Uh, here's the excerpt from his diary. Um, from this point, I beheld the grandest and most pleasing prospects which my eyes ever surveyed. In my front, a boundless ocean. The seas raging with immense wave and breaking with great force from the rocks of Cape Disappointment. As far as I could see to the northwest, the niches and points of high land which forms this course for a long ways added to the innumerable rocks of immense size out at a great distance from the shore against which the seas break and with great force gives the coast a most romantic appearance. I'm sorry, it's really hard to read these guys' journal experts because, uh, like me, these two did not know how to spell. So it's a little hard to read some of their journal excerpts. Uh, apparently they also did this, like, I found this, like, interesting process that they did. So obviously they needed to keep meat, uh, good while they were there. And, you know, there was no refrigeration in, uh, 1805. So, uh, they needed salt. And what they did is they, they did, they did this, like, salting process where they'd get, like, surf from the ocean and they'd, like, boil it until all the salt, uh, was in a bucket and then they'd salt their meat and they also uh were shown uh how to tan their leather so that they could make moccasins and uh clothes which I thought was cool um when the summer came they ended up making their return trip and when they came up to the Rocky Mountains again Sacagawea was actually able to point out this pass that uh made the trip far easier and eventually it was used as a route for the Northern Pacific Railway, which is cool. Um, at some point on their return trip, the group actually decided to split up so that they could explore different parts of a uh, river. Uh, Sacagawea and Clark, I believe, went down one river and uh, uh, with a bunch of other people, I'm sure. I think York might have gone with them. And then uh, Sacagawea's husband and Lewis went down another river and they eventually uh, met up. Uh, by the summer of 1806, Sacagawea and her husband arrived back at the fort at which they had started. After both uh, Lewis and Clark left, Clark actually ended up writing a letter to the couple because he was he was very fond of uh, Sacagawea and her little baby. Um, here's the letter. You have been a long time with me and conducted yourself in such a manner as to gain my friendship. Your woman who accompanied you that long and dangerous fatiguing route to the Pacific Ocean and back deserved a greater reward for her attention and services on that route than we had the power to give her. As to your little son, my boy Pomp, you well know of my fondness of him and my anxiety to take him and raise him as my own child. If you are disposed to accept either of my offers to you and you will bring down your son and your woman Janie had best come along with you to take care of the boy until I get him wishing you and your family great success with your anxious expectations of seeing my dancing little boy Baptiste I shall remain your friend signed William Clark 
Unfortunately, like uh, you just heard in Clark's letter, uh, when they returned, the government gave Toussaint money. I believe it was about $500 and 320 acres of land. And Sacagawea received nothing for her efforts. Because patriarchy, ladies and gentlemen. I guess that's just how life, unfortunately, works. Ugh. Alright, so let's talk about Sacagawea's life after the expedition, because, you know, most... The expedition is exactly what she's known for, and I people don't know a lot about her later life. So Sacagawea and Toussaint lived at Fort Mandan for about another two years until they finally decided to take up Clark's offer to come and live in St. Louis. Uh, and about the same time, Sacagawea was pregnant for the second time, and she gave birth to a daughter that she called Lizette. And in St. Louis, they left their son in Clark's care, and they actually went to go and try farming, but apparently didn't work out, and they came back to St. Louis. Um, I want to kind of talk about uh, Sacagawea's daughter, uh, Lizette, because the thing is, we don't really have a lot of records on her past her third birthday, so either she died when she was a little kid, or I read this, like, whole article that, like, someone, like, uploaded to the internet that was apparently written in, like, the mid 1850s, like, Civil War time, um, at least, and it was interviewing this guy that claimed to be Sacagawea's, like, grandson through, uh, her daughter, Lizette, so, uh, maybe she just ended up, like, getting married and having children, either that or she died as an infant, we don't really know. Um, also, after the expedition records on Sacagawea get a little bit spotty, and she was believed to have maybe died in 1812. Um, according to a fur dealer, Sacagawea got sick and wished to visit North Dakota before she died to go and see the Hidatsa. Um, so her husband brought her and her daughter Lizette to a fort in North Dakota. Uh, the, it was, they almost made it to the Hidatsa, but, uh, uh, they unfortunately didn't. She apparently died at that fort. She would have been about 25 years old. After this, Toussaint apparently brought Lizette to uh, Clark, and he ended up adopting both uh, Jean-Baptiste and uh, Lizette. Uh, Toussaint went back to his fur trading job and continued to be a creepy pedophile for many, many years. Um, he actually ended up marrying, uh, three more times after Sacagawea's death, and, uh, just before he died in 1843, I believe he was about, like, 70 at this point, he married a 14-year-old, and he's believed to have died in 1843 because apparently that's when, uh, Jean-Baptiste, uh, settled his father's estates and he inherited stuff, so, uh, yeah, I also read this thing. There's some people who don't believe that she died in 1812, that she lived to the ripe old age of 100, and that we just don't have the records of that, but I'm I'm not quite sure. I couldn't tell you because I have no idea. There seems to be a lot more evidence that she passed away in 1812 because I believe um, Clark, uh, like much, much later, like after 1812, wrote, down this list of the people who were on the expedition of who was still dead, who, sorry, who was dead and who was still alive, and he wrote down Sacagawea is dead, so she probably died then. Now, while I can't tell you much about uh, Sacagawea's daughter, Lizette, because like I said, we don't really have much on her after her third birthday, I can talk about little darling Jean-Baptiste and what he did after his mother's death. Now, like I said, he lived with Clark, and he became officially adopted by him in 1813, along with his uh, sister, Lizette. Uh, Clark paid for Jean-Baptiste's education, and actually Jean-Baptiste enjoyed a lot of fame as a, as a kid, as he was well known as being the baby who went on the Lewis and Clark expedition, he was basically like a child star, which was probably cool for him. Um, he actually led a pretty extraordinary life. At 18, he met, a uh, Duke, uh, Frederick of Wuttenberg, who was actually the nephew of the King of Wuttenberg, uh... Frederick was traveling in America where him and Jean uh, struck up a good friendship and Frederick invited Jean to come with him to Europe. Uh, and Jean agreed to come with him. Uh, they spent about six years traveling around with Frederick. So uh, Jean got to see a lot of Europe. Apparently they also went to Africa. Um, while Jean was there, he learned Spanish and German. He improved his English and French. And um, Jean actually knew how to speak. Speak Shoshone and Hadatsa like his mother. 
Um, at some point, Jacques came back to America and lost contact with Frederick. We're not quite sure what happened there. They must have had a falling out or, like, a fight or some shit. But, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, Jean began to get into work as a trader and a guide, much like his father. Like I said, he could speak a lot of indigenous languages and he became an asset, just like his mother. Uh, during his time as a trader, he might have, uh, fathered a daughter, uh, named, uh, Maria Catarina Charguna, with a woman from an indigenous Californian tribe. So that was cool. He also might have fathered a son while he was in, uh, Wittenberg with, uh, Frederick. Uh, unfortunately, that baby did end up, uh, passing away as an infant, so that's unfortunate. Um, we're not quite sure if Maria's actually her, his daughter. Uh, he was present at her baptism, so that just kind of gives us a possible idea that he might have been the father. I choose to believe it. Um, he then moved on to join the gold rush, actually, after spending 15 years as a guide. Uh, he must have been doing okay down there because he was able to afford to live out there. It was apparently very expensive to, uh, live out there and do the gold rush. Uh, he also ended up working as a hotel manager in California, which was very cool. Um, he eventually did leave the California gold rush. I'm not quite sure where he was going. He was in, headed in the Montana direction. Apparently there was another gold rush going on there. And that's what he might have been headed to. But the thing is, uh, he was very old at this point, And he just couldn't make the trip. And he died uh, either from a sickness or, like, he fell off his horse. He died on May 16th, 1866. He was about 61 years old. Alright, so now that we've come to the end of Sacagawea's life and uh, Sacagawea's son's life, uh, let's talk about Sacagawea's legacy, because I think it's very important. Now, Sacagawea's legacy, I think, endures because she was a very strong, independent woman. She had faced a lot of hardships, and she seemed to pull through it all. She helped Lewis and Clark spot the Pacific Ocean. She nursed them back to health, and uh, they did not do it alone, though they had help from a little Native American girl, which is so cool. Although she helped a lot during the expedition, she didn't actually guide them. There's, like, a misconception that she was, like, showing them, like, directions, but, I, I mean, she knew the land very well, but she wasn't really technically a guide. Uh, she was mostly translating for them, and she was a very good peacemaker. Um, unfortunately, um, modernly, she's viewed very negatively by her tribe. She's actually thought of by quite a few Shoshone people. I don't know if this is the case now, but this is what I read, that she's viewed as kind of like a traitor to her, uh, people by helping Lewis and Clark, which is very unfortunate that she's viewed that way by her own people. But to be fair, they have, the Shoshone have faced very great hardship as many other indigenous tribes did with the American expansion into the West, so I can see how they got the wrong impression of her. Um, other than that, she's actually, a lot of things have been named after her, like parks and rivers. Like I said, she's, she's actually the woman with the most statues of her in the U.S., I believe, and... Uh, they even named a boat after her at one point. She was also, uh, put on a coin in the year 2000, along with her son Jean, and, um, I believe it's called the Sacagawea Dollar. I'm sorry. So, that's her legacy. Alright, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, if there's a certain thing that you want to hear, just, like, hit me up on, uh, Twitter at Long May She Rain 2. Uh, the N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2, just so you know that. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Bye!